0: This is Shaka speak. Hey, everybody, what's up? We're uh, doing a 30 below. 30 yeah. below. <laughs> below 30. Break out your parkas, folks. It's 30 below out there.
1: <laughs> it's cold out here, people.
0: It's time to go 30 below. What is it? Has a... I mean, every time something like that happens, I just think of, like, Groundhog Day. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Rise and shine, campers. Dog talk. Phil? Phil Ryerson,
1: <laughs> I, love it. I just um, watched that movie. Oh no, it's Ned. Ned, Ned? Ryerson. Yeah, Ned. Ned, Ned Ryerson. Ryerson. How you been?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's uh. So anyway, we're uh, yeah, we got thirty below going on right now, and we've just got a, a fun little topic to talk about because, as you know, um, I'm a designer. Ryan is a painter, and uh, we do tend to agree on a number of things. Uh, for the most part. In fact, we've had people even comment and they say, you guys just really seem like you're in agreement about a lot of stuff.
1: I know. We get crap for that. I mean, honestly,
0: I think it's because we we let the agreements go into the world and we leave the non-agreements correct. on the table. That's um, right. But today we're going to get into a place where we really are approaching this topic from very different yep. spaces. So um what are we
1: going to be talking about, Ryan? We're going to talk about how do you... Well, yeah. How do you, how do you, <laughs> how do you make color choices?
0: Oh uh, yeah. And see this, this is one of those things Indeed. where you're just like, wow, what an innocuous topic.
1: Yeah. What a weird talk. Like how do you choose color? Like what? And you said to me, well, go ahead. You said something about me, the diff right away. You were like, well, so yeah, we, ha- we your- have
0: to think about this completely differently. different yeah, because said- we're coming out from two different places. So as a designer, um, I deal with color. I know, uh, I've been trained to deal with color in a different way than you do. Um, and I said, so I assume that as a painter, you are making colors. Mm-hmm. As a designer, I am finding them, and mm-hmm. then I'm figuring out how they're built. Mm. So um, there, I think it's just you know, kind of like looking at it from you approach it from one direction, I approach it from the other. Mm-hmm. Not that not that color has less importance for you or me or whatever, but yeah. that we just that the concept of color is approached in very different ways. Right. Um so maybe may, may, maybe I mean, not. We'll, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, you know I remember there was a there was a book I read uh, probably 10 15 years ago now and I think it was just called it was like a history of color. Yeah. And it was amazing because every chapter they this this uh, writer was talking about, um, the history of colors. Like how did we get blue? How did we get red? Mm-hmm. And not in the sense of like, oh, they exist in nature, obviously, but how were people recreating these for yep. art and design? Yep. You know, so there, you know, everybody's kind of heard the anecdotal stories about things like Chartre blue and that's very specific and then like Lamplight black and things like that. Um, you know, that these are things that were made from the spaces. They were actually built at one point they were made. Well, I taught a design course one time and, um, what we did is we, uh, started the course off by making prints, but we made prints by making the paper and making the inks. So they had to do the prints, but everything had to be handmade, mm-hmm. mainly because I had kind of understood through my design practice that I think a lot of us lose track of the fact that we make colors. They're just not a part of a digital picker on the side of, of a design yeah, program, yeah, that yeah. We're using, but that we actually <clears throat> can build them and make mm-hmm. them extremely specific to our work. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, most of the time I just go, oh, okay, there's this, and maybe I toy with the build a little bit, right? I'm like, oh, there's needs, needs to be a little bit more cyan in this, or too much black, or whatever it is. But for the most part, I'm just picking the color. But right, um,
1: that, but how does that, that can't be so, the case for everybody? Right? Yeah. So when you're picking the color, what else is at play though? In a, in just in in a scenario, because it feels like it's uh, at times. It, my guess is it might be arbitrary, but other times, like what is it? Is it a preference for you, or what? I mean, it, it, I think if I'm real honest, there's there's a large amount of preference, right? There's a there's a uh-huh. there's a
0: scale of tone or hue that I just gravitate towards, right? Uh, things that I like, and I think we all do that. Sure, it's just a matter of are those preferences educated well, or are they just arbitrary? Because yeah. I think there's a, you know, preference can be you can have a sliding scale of whether your preference is good, bad, better, worse, whatever. Correct. Um, where I think that my choices in color earlier in my career were probably not as uh, – they were still preferential, mm-hmm. but they were not as, like, well-educated preferential. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that it what it comes about as is there's some basic kind of uh, – if we just rely on the basic color theory that we kind of started off with, maybe in, like, elementary or high school art mm-hmm. class where, you know – green points to these sort of things and red has these sort of things. So there's like physiological aspects of color and what they do to us, how they affect us, what they make us feel, what it makes our bodies kind of do in terms of like systems in our body and whatnot and how they affect us. Mm -hmm. There's kind of, I I think maybe you put like five or 10% into that sort of thought, Mm -hmm. but the rest of it becomes relational. So I don't, I don't often consider a color. Mm -hmm. I have to consider a a system of colors. Mm -hmm. So, not only like are these things pleasing visually, but do they work together as a whole? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, most of the time when I'm thinking about color, I'm thinking of at least a, a, a duo or like triad sort of system of color. So how do these two or three colors work together and what does the holistic like communication or structure of these colors do and how can we play these out? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really systematized I think yeah. in a lot of ways. So you know, I may not care too much about what the blue looks like, but I do care about what the blue and orange and white look like. Right. Um, or, you know, the which hues of gray work best within this monochrome piece, or whatever else it is. But yeah, I yeah. don't. I don't consider singular colors. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I. If somebody asked me, like, "Hey, you need to have a single color for this thing," I, I think that would be a very hard constraint for me. Mm-hmm. Something that I think would be fruitful. I'm going
1: to assign that to you. (laughs) I
0: just don't, I just don't consider individual colors. I'm going to fake,
1: I'm going to have a fake phone number and act like a client. I'm going to call you and assign, (laughs) request you do this ridiculous project for me for thousands of dollars. Well, you know, we,
0: and we, we had a kind of an interchange a few weeks ago um, with, you know, uh, a poster that we were doing for Mm -hmm. something and we talked about color. Yeah. And, you know, my, I think my inclination towards some colors um, in terms of how those colors would then play out within whatever sort of production processes would be yes. necessary for this thing to become Correct. an actual pr- uh, product um, really trumped the kind of early intention that I think you were – doing, but I I don't want to put those words in your mouth, Yeah, Um, but we did have a, we were kind of seeing this poster from two different ways. So even though we were describing the colors is like, is this red, orange, or is it orange red?
1: Right. Right. (laughs) You know, um,
0: it was interesting.
1: Yeah. 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 For sure. No, no, that's true. Uh, It turned out to be a great poster though. Yeah. It was great. highly collaborative at the end of the day.
0: We'll probably come back to it because, you know, like everything else, uh, uh, COVID-19 has a heavy foot on the brakes. It
1: destroyed (laughs) everything for us. It is, (laughs) you know, it's... Um, heartbreaking on so many levels. It is just just disappointing. I mean, it's just a lot of disappointment. I'm checking my mic here. I realize that, uh, forgive me y'all. I'm doing a mic, a (laughs) mic move right now. Here we go. All right. So
0: what, uh, I mean, how do you like turning the question back on you? Like, yeah. How do you deal, see with color? What's it like in your process?
1: Yeah, no, I, I I like the way you, you said it, like you make color. And I was like, I I, I sometimes make color. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I select color. Um, in, Depending, so, um, you know, I took your design theory, color classes coming through like a standard yeah. art education college, but it didn't resonate with me very much. Mm-hmm. I think it will. I think it would now. I mean, I, I so I've read like Albert's book. I mean, yeah. um, you know, looking at chroma, just pure color. You mm-hmm. um, know, I've read some other books on how we look, how our, our retina, I mean, how our brain works. Like there's some really technical stuff out there. And, um, but it. So, like there's that intellectualizing of it, but then there's like probably what where I 'm at on average. Mm-hmm. and I think when color got really profound for me is actually when it shifted over to just uh, believe it or not, I mean like just painting outdoors, yeah. working with especially Tom Monteith, so the way light interacted with color um, in very subjective moments mm-hmm. so there wasn't pure chroma per se, there's a lot of muted, muddy um sort yeah. of effects happening, studying landscape painting in various yeah. uh spaces with various light conditions, like actually going to environments that were uh situated differently to that, that tended to on average produce certain color effects. Mm-hmm. And and then creating looking at you know paintings where where you know people think of a painting as red, like I think Medusa's Raft has this where it's like they think of it as a red painting and there's like maybe one moment of pure chroma. Mm-hmm. A moment. Yeah. I mean three inches of a large canvas are actually red and everything else is muddied and, but the luminosity is there and you arrive at red and red is the most powerful color, but it's the smallest piece of real estate on the painting. And it's a, it's sort of like poetically about that red, those, the properties of red as much as it is the uh, metaphor of the painting, if you will. Like there's things like that, 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 um, uh, Became really interesting to me and then seeing that in nature, like realizing that like, you know, you look at green grass and people go to paint grass, but if you're really looking, you know, you're using pur- <clears throat> purple and red and, you know, or, you know, painting skies, um, which if anybody knows me knows, if you look at my work, I'm not a landscape artist, but my work is, is informed by landscape painting. Yeah. So, so in a strange way, so like, you know, looking at the sky and, and it's blue, mm-hmm. but uh, the effect of blue sky working in my paintings when I started using red as the first layer yeah so you can't see the red but the red's doing an effect mm. on the on the overlays of blue and so um I, that's when I started to kind of nerd out I started to nerd out on color in real time mm. um, less didactically or systematized in abstract terms like on a in a color wheel it's like it was that for me not that it is dead just that the way that I learn it, it it didn't come to life for me. It came to life the other way, but then what happened was then I had better eyes to see the color wheel, if you will, or color get, dipping into uh, models of color theory. Yeah. And so, um, so that was my background. Mm-hmm. You know, I make very sometimes pure color paintings where I'm mixed to a really clean color um, mm-hmm. and it's intuitive and it's partly felt, it's partly um, fixation. Like I get moods you know, so I was doing one painting as sort of a moody, quieter painting, and then I made a second painting, and I sent it to somebody and said, hey, that painting's really loud. And it's funny that they were translating in, in terms of volume and sound, and I was mm-hmm. like, that's actually accurate because I was keyed up, and I wanted something a little more keyed up, a little more uh, plastic, if you will. Yeah. And so there's a, tends to be a total mood. I tend to think a dominant, in triadic terms, mm-hmm. with a with a dominant, a leading color, yeah. a lead singer, if you will, mm-hmm. and... Um, but also, like, I I mean, and I've had people tell me that, you know, this is the easy way out, whatever. Um, but two of my all-time favorite painters, Philip Gustin and Albert Ulan, both had heavy black and white periods. Mm-hmm. They just painted in black and white, and then, like, Philip Gustin moved to black and white pink. Yeah. So, so it was a mo- – and it was, like, tied – to me, it's tied back into that historical idea of painting where it's, like, the red painting, but there's only really this much red, you know, mm-hmm. two inches. So – the meaningfulness of color um, is slowly living inside um, one body of my work that is has these black and white interiors. Mm-hmm. And then I have the more sort of simplified box paintings that um, are pure color. And so somewhere between those two, um, I'm able to kind of like get it out and, and feel all right about it. But um, I get color impressions in my mind I kind of see the painting about forty to sixty percent done in my mind. And then and then um then I make it and then crap happens and then mm. it, it departs a little bit or you know, um and the goal is to get it to work in, in holistically kinda of like you say. Yeah. Um but I tend to if I don't give okay, so the other thing is like, and I think a lot of artists do this, a lot of painters do this, but like I historically would have to go to Lowe's. And just get every paint chip I could find. Yeah. Because if I can't see external to myself, variation of color, my internal mind's eye is really limited. I mean, it's got like, I just want to make blue and orange paintings. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and so I, I lose color in my mind's eye. Like I don't I, it has to be outside of myself. Like I have, So I, I preemptively start to organize color. I mean, I've got all my flash paint. I'm, you've been in my studio. It's like yeah. along the wall. I have to see it to because if I can see it, I desire it mm-hmm. and I can purpose it. But if I can't see it, what my core wants to do is a very limited thing. I mean, I just make orange paintings my whole life. Most people don't want an orange painting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can only, you know, Yves Klein did his blue paintings. You could only do it for so long. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's uh, something you said um, about needing to
0: see it. Um, it's interesting because when I started, uh, the first year I taught, Um, one of the classes I was teaching was, uh, maybe the worst possible way you could ever teach design principles, which was in a lecture class for 90 students. Oh gosh. It was a nightmare. I don't even know how you do that. Um,
1: well, it it, was this, it was,
0: well, it was a previous school. Okay. Uh, So,
1: um, I would say that, um, it's a wonderful previous school. You can look on his CV to find out which one it was.
0: It's a wonderful previous school. Loved it there. But I think what it did do for me, uh, in a very practical sense uh, as a teacher is it, it forced me to have to. Really big in my career, creatively thinking about how you get information across to people in such It provided me the constraints that I use in design work within the teaching profession and helped mm-hmm. me to contextualize it in a better way. Um, but what I what I discovered is um, students were becoming increasingly unaware of color. Mm. And so what I mean by that is uh, they they were they were not understanding the things that were mitigating their understanding of what color actually was mm-hmm. because there was a difference between seeing color and experiencing color there was a difference between seeing color and knowing color mm-hmm. um, and I oftentimes would have to get to a place where I would get the students to uh, not just see the color right because they would choose things based on what they saw on their monitor right then what was problematic is <clears> they were they were designing for four color process mm-hmm. and viewing a three color process right So um, we would we would speak about color in an abstract way. In a kind of in your mind's eye sort of way, but students would take a long time to get to a place where they could kind of get over that hurdle to understand that what they were seeing was not what they were making. Right, and that's a hard thing. Yeah, it, it's a tough. It's a tough spot to be.
1: Yeah, um, it's kind to, of very literalistic in a way that is not accounting for translation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a finesse in translating.
0: There is because I mean if you're if you're doing some RGB colors and you're taking them to CMYK and you I don't know how many students in the first couple projects people would turn in, there would be a note that would say, this looked better on my computer. It looks real like muddy and nasty now. And it's yeah. Like, yeah, because the colors you made were actually this bad. Yeah. Like you you chose these colors. You just thought you were doing something else. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, even within something where we're in within design, we tend to be very heavily, um, uh, it's very dominant on digital tools. Right. There is something very, very helpful about standing in front of that wall of paint chips yeah, and understanding how colors are built and how they're made.
1: I, what you know, kind of circumstances can they handle? Like what kind of light can they handle? Yep. You know, so like looking at paintings outside, for me, it's like looking at paintings outside of my studio, what kind mm-hmm. of light, you know, when you go into look at paint chips, they've got their, you know, each brand has their little contextualizing scenario to highlight the quality of the paint. So they have their little lights above that are mm-hmm. fluorescent or not or LED or you know natural or indoor, outdoor. And they're trying to give you, I mean, it it's um yeah, color is the property of something else. Yeah. Color, pure chroma, like it's an abstract it exists. But like if you said what is red, I can give you, you know, thousands of things that equally are called red. And there will be thousands of variations. Right. You'll, you'll almost see, you know, if you say pure red, primary red, that's an abstract category that we all accept, mm-hmm. but actually an expression. For what we call primary red, is a uh, loose conglomerate of uh, localized expressions that mutually exist together in close, close proximity. Mm-hmm. And so we, we sort of lump sum it as red. Um, and most of the time you're not comparing uh, diversity of reds very often. Right. So you're you're accepting fire engine red as the fire engine passes by, yeah. and then you know you you come home and your kids painted a red apple, and you're like that's the same red, and our mind does some editing, but and then you put those two together and you're like they couldn't be closer together, while still satisfying the category of primary red. Right. So what is primary red? Who knows? <laughs> right. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, I think our models, that you know, I think our models for color theory, I think there's a lot of weird room in color theory. And I'm sure in 3D modeling and virtual reality, I I, I think that's probably the frontier for better understanding color because color is the property of something Mm -hmm. like green is what an avocado is on the inside. It's the property of avocado. It doesn't exist independent from avocado. Mm -hmm. Green doesn't exist independent from the ink that produced the green that you see printed on the page. It doesn't exist independent from being a property of that, which is, that which is, whatever that is is.. the, yeah. the dye made it yellow, right? Mm-hmm. So it was the property of dye. It isn't uh, uh, independent from dye. And so then physical physicality facilitates our experience and understanding of color. But we isolate color into color theory. Mm-hmm. But we forget to bring color theory back down into, it's proper understanding and physical reality, which is a property of, of, of something else. And this is why when, when I taught color theory
0: um, in that gigantic class, I would always start out with um, physiology. Mm-hmm. And so students were like, they'd pop into this class and I'd have a diagram of an eyeball up on the you know gigantic screen or whatever. And they're like, what what are we doing here? I'm like, we're talking about color. And they're like, but that's an eyeball. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, okay, so uh, take your eyes out and tell me about color. Yeah, tell me about it. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know, yeah. I, yeah, Tell them. me how red feels <laughs> right, when you're yeah. touching with your hand.
1: Oh, this, this red feels flat, yeah. like the paper. Or All of a sudden, you're talking about hot and cold. Yeah. <laughs> no.
0: and so uh, you know, we would talk start talking about that um, because it was like you know there is something um, about this that is highly dependent upon uh, the physiology of your body, right? right. I've I've got some good friends, uh, some of them artists who uh, you know have different types of color blindness, mm-hmm. right? And and it doesn't it doesn't change how I see colors, mm-hmm. but it definitely changes the way that they deal with color or make decisions, right? The decision is different because there's a dependence on certain things to make that color like matter or make sense. Yeah. And so, you know, and, we, and we know this from a cultural standpoint. There are certain colors that, in our culture, are are, are very happy and, and and good. But if yeah. you were to use them in the same situation in other cultures, they they could mean the exact opposite. Totally,
1: yeah. Colors are loaded. I mean, red's got to be the most polarizing, loaded color in, in history. Oh uh, yeah, history. I mean, it's
0: always it's the fight or flight, right? Yeah. It's the love
1: or hate. That's right. I mean, it's a it's astonishing. It, it's the uh, you know it's the color for the St. Louis Cardinals, but it's also like a central color for, um, you know, universities, mm-hmm. but it's also like the central color for like Nazi Germany. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like but every, it's also, every cartoon Satan thing you've yeah, ever seen. Yeah. 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 A it's a red guy with a pitchfork. It's the color of apples. It's the color. It's, it's a crazy, it's, it's indifferent to the way it's used. Yeah. And then we charge it with a significant meaning. It's, it's every, you know, I'm being hyperbolic here, but it's every freshman, coming into college that I've worked with, their first impulse is to use red in making an installation or, or yeah. you know, and it's, it's always like, oh, because I want there to, this to signify death or life. Yeah. And so I remember telling a student once when I first got to VCU, like, try to make me feel the way you think the red's going to make me feel while, while using another color like blue. And they're mm-hmm. like, what? I was like, make blue affect me the same way you think red's going to with regards to death. And they made a much better installation, actually, and it worked. They did it. They we they yeah. It's it probably but, a
0: higher consideration. Of color. Yeah,
1: and it and the work felt sing, like more singular and less mm-hmm. generic. Yeah, and I love the color red. I mean, I you know I've used it. I'll, I'll probably use it this week. Um, but uh, you know, it comes with it comes with. I mean, I think there. You know, maybe this is another discussion for another day. But what does it mean to make make responsibly? Mm. Like, at yeah. what point? At what point do you go from being someone who's a learner? To dominantly someone who's a responsible maker who's yeah. still learning, and that's a that that might be another talk we do, but um, because I think that's what happens when you come to color is you start to become responsible color color employers because you, you have a better handle on meaning making or effect making, and um, and then you you know you're still learning, but you're you're like no, I'm good I, I know I'm going to make enough that I'm able to use this color these color relationships because I'm compelled they mean something or it's for this brand. And, um, you know, I definitely think, I mean, I'm 45 this year. I've crossed that threshold mm-hmm. uh, some time ago, but it took me some time. No question. You know, I wasn't responsible with color. You know, yeah. I was I was casual and I didn't know I was casual. I was, I was very, very ignorant and I had some impulses, if that makes sense. No, definitely. You know, it's a, uh, but I think that's the,
0: you know, one of the things about, the, uh, color that we have to work through is that there is a, there's a, a, a reflex a lot of us have to certain colors. Um, and, and I think the way that we understand this, that you've, you mentioned this before that, um, you know, you had somebody tell you at VCU during a critique or just in a studio visit, oh, you use a lot of California colors, right. You know, and then like, um, but likewise, um, when I go back home, up in South Mississippi, right near the water. There is a a quality of light in that area that changes the color of green in the trees Correct. to be specific to place. Um, and that is something that is not is it, not something you early on just are like, oh yeah, I see the quality of light has drastically changed the color of green in these trees. Yeah. You don't come out saying that sort no, of stuff. And if no. you did in art school, you'd probably be just like shunned, right? Yeah. They'd look at you and be like, "What a pretentious freshman!" Yeah, just said this thing, but it's the truth. It is true. Um, and so there is, uh, there is something visually different about the place I grew up. Mm-hmm. But that visual difference also is something that sets a kind of a foundation or a context for us. Um, and so there is there's something hugely important about the the relational aspect of colors. Yeah, that can't be. Overstate, and we we talk about this a lot. We, you know, I was talking about systems of colors. So two or three colors, they go together, they work well. Yep. But what are those colors like? You're saying in relation to the light that's being put upon them, in the place that they're doing it, in their, in the the amount of color that's being applied, their opacity, whatever it may be. Sure. Um, a lot of these things, I mean, they're gonna come from some sort of reflexive, sort of knee jerk thing from context that we grew up in.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think so. Yeah. So when I was living in California, in Southern California, I moved to the high desert. And before I got really serious about painting, I was doing illustration, mm-hmm. and so I was living in the high desert. And uh, the skies in the high desert were so one the, the skyline is proportionally your horizon lines are low, and the sky you have more sky in your field of vision than you have yeah. land, so you're always dealing with proportionally more sky. And so big clouds and erupting—I mean, erupting pink, orange, blue sky—I mean, just the most erupting, staggering color. So you know, I'm making these illustrations. I'm always using those colors. And uh, then I get to Sacramento, and I'm not seeing that. I'm seeing a clear, blues, cleaner sky, if you will, a more golden light, mm-hmm. true, kind of true of the stereotypes of California. And um, But now I'm actually uh, training painting outside while also painting figures and then making abstract works. I'm doing all three all the time. Yeah. And they're feeding each other. They're informing each other. I'm cultivating problems I want to solve. i in discourse with makers, mentors, and then reading art history and looking at painters I love. And so this kind of like uh, ripe environment for learning, you know, rich kind of environment. And so one of the things that painting did was it gave me license to appreciate that point. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it was my reason to sit outside and stare and and kind of like be enriched by. And so you're sender a receiver, like you're taking that in, you're processing that Mm -hmm. But now you're becoming conscious of what you just said. So you're no longer naive to it. Yeah, You're conscious of it. So now it's like, so so for me, what was really interesting is one thing I noticed when I came to VCU and I moved to Richmond, so not in California, is you got people coming from all over the world to go to master's program. And you're going into each other's studios and you'd see things like, you know, uh, I'd make a painting using certain colors before you know it. Someone would come and do a critique and then two days later, they're using those colors. Yeah. Vice versa. I'm like, I go in some little studio, I'm looking at their paintings, leave. And, uh, two days later, I'm making a painting and it's lo and behold, I'm using the same colors and, and yeah. you're, you're like, you're being influenced because we're, we take in mm-hmm. you process. And you, especially when it, when it resonates to you and you're like, man, this is, mm-hmm. this is something it, it can be, it bypasses the mind kind of, I used to say it gets to the chest, like it gets into your heart or something and, and you're resonated. And so, um, I started to become more conscious of the fact that I was being not only influenced by naturalism, but also consumerism and also my colleagues in the painting departments. So now you've got this trifecta of ways you're being influenced, the products you buy, the makers you're around and the environment, atmospheric conditions, the light and so on that you exist within. Mm -hmm. But once you become conscious of it, then you can pay attention to it in meaningful ways and filter more keenly what gets out into the, the workspace, the maker space.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, talking about that. I think that's why in most of my projects, I will always be more happy more quickly with the layout and will fuss over the colors the most. Yeah.
1: Cause
0: so I'll go through something and I'm like, Oh, how it works. If this were just black and white, I'm done. Yeah. Right. Finished. Cause I feel happy with that contrast. You
1: hate color, don't you?
0: (laughs) Well, (laughs) uh, it's a love hate relationship. Yeah. yeah. Um, I I mean, um, I did have a student one time, uh, like look at me funny because I wore a colorful shirt to class and they were like, what they, they, they said is, is your laundry not clean? Right. Because they just had seen me in nothing but very monochromatic stuff. I mean, I don't know, 70% of what I own is gray, black, white, whatever. So I've tried to infuse more color. Um, but mainly because, uh, yeah it's uh it's just tough mm-hmm. because uh, I think and some of it for me is you literally have an infinite
1: variety. Yes, that's what I mean
0: And so coming to a color is is I mean it, it, there's something that's extremely just extremely confident about settling on a color that I think makes us feel not confident. Right. Because, I mean, like, it's like, oh, like you were saying with red. Okay, so you've got red. Well, how do you know that you're not one or two points off? Yeah. How do you know that you're not, it should be darker or lighter? How is this the one? Um, especially with all of those other variables we've talked about, right? And so I think that, you know, color is one of those things that uh, we we can kind of minimize in some ways, but it should be maximized, I think, in a lot of conversations.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, this is the thing. This is, maybe we're probably running short of time, but... the this is we ha, i mean this is like how do you say this i'm going to make a ridiculous statement Definitely. but like it's kind of like like you almost have to i mean kind of what's happened is like society's being off, offset mm-hmm. and a lot of things che- you don't have to do this. Nobody has to do this. Okay, I don't. I don't mean it this way. I don't mean we're wired differently. People have different personalities, mm-hmm. but I do think that paint. I do think makers, mm-hmm. especially, should really um, wade into deeper waters. Yeah, relative to you. So you know, you may get next to a friend and say, "Well, gosh, they've thought about a lot." I mean, you and I both know people that are very, very knowledgeable. Oh yeah, beyond. Beyond us, you know, yeah. so we, we both live with that all the time. Um, so I don't mean necessarily comparatively, but I mean um, there's if you wade into the depth of things with humility, then you don't have as much temptation to possess it mm-hmm. and therefore truncate what it is for someone else and set arbitrary standards that stunt or dumb down yeah. something, including color. And so what I mean is society... Can get so caught up in our our pacing that we don't afford ourselves the time to dig, mm-hmm. and there is like I think there's vitality in the the digging in, not because you can possess, yeah. not because it makes you smarter than now or better than now, but because like simply for the sake of what it is. And I, th- I just think that kind of person, on average, tends to produce things that resonate more people in deeper and in more meaningful ways. Yeah. And, um, that's very, that sounds very sincere. And, um, I suppose I'm, I mean it to be, mm-hmm. um, I'm actually sort of, um, done with irony. Yeah. I like irony in proportion to like a good story, a good poem. Um, but as far as a, Posture or a stance of skepticism, irony. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I've lived through enough of it, it. Tends to produce bitterness, and so I'd like to see more of a in depth, sincere. I mean, you know, there's painters that are sincerely investigating color, mm-hmm. and they have to hide behind ironic communication because there's not a safe space, so to speak, to actually be you know, reverent over it or like in awe of a world that produces color. Yeah, and I think that if we're if we're paying attention. If we're actually
0: intently paying attention uh, in the world around us, especially as makers, one thing we're going to see is that the world has um, seemingly in most places an unreachable depth. Yeah. So it's not that it's not out there to do. It's not that it's uh, you know that everything's so shallow and that we just have to search for the places for depth. Uh, I think it's just you know it's pushing back against the fact that we're always building assumptions mm-hmm. and that moving to that depth usually is is eroding those assumptions in really positive ways. Right. Um, and I think you know it's one of these where it's you know even just from this conversation I'm thinking well as a designer how can I how can I push into color more? Yeah. And that doesn't mean be more colorful. Correct. But it means to consider color in a different way. A different yeah. Light. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What is it? Like how? does it affect us what does why you know we just deep reasons for why um you know the world is colorful and why we communicate with it Mm -hmm. the world communicates color in its natural sense and um or it communicates through the um color is an aesthetic property of a world that is deeply aesthetic yeah from the start Mm -hmm. so so the resource like we're starting um we're not starting when we make from have-nots, but we're starting from from fullness, yeah. from abundance, and in that abundance, it's like red clay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's conveniently pre-mixed yeah. and you just fold, mold it, and then you get a brick. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's um the world from the get-go is embedded fullness. Yeah that is unpackable, that is makeable. You like To enculturate to is to make something of the world. And so the world is full and replete with opportunity. In fact, it's so much so that we're underperforming what the world we've been given. I was going to say, uh, it, it's almost like um,
0: the, only, the only way that we can find something like Color Mundane is for it to be one aspect of an incredibly rich world.
1: Exactly. That's the only way. Yeah. It's not the other way. So then you get makers that are like, well, this doesn't mean anything until I do something with it. Well, that's egocentric of you. Yeah. And oftentimes most of us, including myself, are under underwork underperforming with the the abundant forward going resources that the world has for us, which is why then those resources become depleted in triviality. Yeah. They they don't enrich in um uh uh cycles of, of of more generativity like we talk about mm-hmm. so they, they tend to actually deplete because it's, uh, motivations are off and the awareness is off and so we we uh we shortcut it we mm-hmm. it's it's it really works together like we're not i always says we're not here by accident yeah and most of the time for most folks that's overwhelming to think about and it is because none of us are big enough to deal with it by ourselves mm-hmm. but um but you know tangentially color is Powerful. Yeah. I mean, you see that last, my nerdy Star Wars, but you know, there's a reason why when they, they made the last Star Wars, the the first order they used red everywhere. Mm-hmm. They were connotating historical. Oh, yeah. They wanted power and they wanted historical connotations. They mm-hmm. wanted both. Um, you know, it's crazy how like, I just think about Target. I'm like, Target is red and white. Yeah, Target's red. But when you go into Target, all kinds of colors, but I think a Target is red. Mm-hmm. Um, Kmart was mint green. And red. I, I'm pretty sure I've made a couple of Kmart paintings um without knowing it. I got one. As a matter of fact, I, I now know why I've made a certain painting, a certain color scheme. It's because of for years seeing the mint green, the Kmart green, blue, and mm. red is just gets in your psyche. It's formed into uh letter formations with backlit lighting in these signs that are hitting your eye on average when you drive down the street as a little kid. Yeah. You know it's interesting, man. I mean, so so that's why I said maybe for later we can talk about responsible making, mm-hmm. because I really believe setting the stage for another talk that artists are not neutral, making is not neutral, and I'm gonna put myself on the line and say that uh, um, because effects affect in specified ways, they you know um, uh, the symbolic objectification of of me, of some sense of meaning for, through the means of what's been made, will do specific things to people, and if it gains power, it will shape people. So it is not neutral. You can't you can't have it one way and not the other. You can't say it's powerful but not take responsibility for what it does. Yeah, that's what we do, and so um, that's another reason for me why we have to think about these things, not to be afraid of it, but to to steward it well, to wield it well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that it actually has um, what I would, what you and I would agree with is generative or flourishing possibilities that um, push against or mitigate things that are dehumanizing. Yeah, that's a big discussion. It is, you know? but
0: you know, I think it's a fantastic way to kind of put a bow on everything. <laughs> put
1: put so, a bow on it. I would guess, you know,
0: at the end of the day, we don't necessarily disagree about this, um, but we just uh, <laughs> shocking
1: through, <laughs> through practice,
0: we come about it in very different yeah, ways. Yeah,
1: no, I think there's, and certainly, maybe we'll revisit this one because I think. I mean, more than anything, you got my you got my wheels turning a little bit. Now, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm all like hyped up now. Yeah.
0: Just you talking, I've got at least four or five projects I want to assign some students. So yeah. as soon as we get out of this quarantine, yep, it's go time. Brand new syllabus for some class. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Did awesome. we make it
1: under thirty? Or are we over? No, we didn't make it under. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> Woo! Uh, that's uh, that's what we call bonus content. Yeah, folks. bonus content You're for welcome.
1: free. That was for free. All right, well, we'll We're, check you next time. Though, peace.
0: You've been listening to Shaco Art Speak. A production of Shaco Art Space. We are an independent, nonprofit art gallery in Richmond, Virginia. We can be found online at shacoartspace.com and in real life in historic Shaco Bottom.